Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehila Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. A uh, inspirational message for you. As we are in the uh, season of Counting of the Omer, we want to just thank Miss Libby Davis for what she's doing, uh, preparing us for, of course, the culmination of the 50th day leading up to the Feast of Shavuot. So once again, we are counting the Omer. And uh, we are counting seven Sabbaths plus one day, and so that on May 30th in the evening, we'll, of course, be, we'll be celebrating, uh, of course, the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or otherwise known as the Feast of Pentecost. So I just want to just encourage all of you to stay in the season that we're in, because once again, in Exodus 19, in the third month, the Torah was given on the Feast of Shavuot, and so was the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And so right now, as we are counting the Yomer, we know that Yeshua showed himself for 40 days to over 500 people. And I've shared that before, and I'll share it again. And so as we close in on the 40th day, I do believe it's going to be uh, next week. Uh, if you'll count, of course, how many days uh, for the ascension, it was the 40th day. Yeshua went up, and the angel said, hey, the same way that he went up, he is going to come down. So we have the ascension of Yeshua on the 40th day. And then we have this window of opportunity of 10 days to wait, of course, in the upper room. Uh, the disciples, the Mary, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was up there in the upper room. And, of course, we're celebrating the giving of the Holy Spirit. But with everything that's going on in the earth today, even in regards to the coronavirus, and a praise report during the counting of the Omer is the fact that the coronavirus is dissipating. And uh, people are hitting the curve. Nations are hitting the curve. And uh, we have to remember to lift up all of those who passed away, who died from the coronavirus, that they would be comforted, the families, and that we just speak healing over those who are afflicted and a quick recovery. Once again, uh, I did a teaching called The Plague. If you haven't got to watch it or listen to it, I highly recommend that you watch that teaching, The Plague, and it will give you a biblical perspective of the word plague and the different plagues that happen in the Bible that, of course, came from God. So with further ado, uh, without further ado, I want to go ahead and get into counterfeits of the Holy Spirit. Right now, there's all kinds of spirits swirling around in this earth. I mean, you could just name them off the top of your head. There's the spirits of lust, and there's the spirit of greed, and the, the, you know, the spirit of lying, and, and all these things that are happening. But we have counterfeits of the Holy Spirit. I want to kind of expose the enemy. You know, that's the strategy. How does the enemy work? What's going on behind the scenes? You know, what's really... Uh, happening behind the curtain, just like Dorothy had to pull the curtain back and found who? He found the Wizard of Oz. She found the Wizard of Oz. So let's look at the counterfeits of the Holy Spirit. Let's just jump right in here. Uh, the purpose of this teaching is twofold. Uh, number one, for awareness. I want you to be aware. And number two, I want to give you direction. Once again, clear direction uh, between all of those spirits and the Holy Spirit. A clear direction for you. So once again, I want to bring awareness and direction. Now, the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to us by Yeshua. 
See, it was a promise given to us by Yeshua. He says, listen, I'm going to go to the right hand of the Father. I'm going to go to the Father, but I'm going to send you and give you the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make up what we call the Godhead, okay? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up the Godhead. So let's jump right in here in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Once again, instructions from Yeshua that they will be endued with power from on high. What a great promise, amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, the word promise is the Greek word epigelia, and it means a divine assurance of good. A divine assurance of good. Remember divinity, a divine assurance of good. So we as homo sapiens, we as humans are the children of God. You know, we think we know what is good, but we're just mere mortals, you know, waiting for immortality. But the thing is, a divine assurance of good is a better good than the good that you think you can come up with. So just remember that, that as God pours out his spirit on us as his children, he has a divine assurance of good that's contained within that promise. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, this is a nugget verse. It's so powerful. We're quoting it all the time. It says, and if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So once again, if you be Christ's, raise your hand, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you're a spirit, a soul, and a body. If you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. So we can say that the believers in Yeshua are literally the seed of Abraham, and they are heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? Epigelia, a divine assurance of good. Let's check out John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Wow. Another comforter. Think of a comforter. We all have comforters on our beds, don't we? We have, we have our favorite comforters. God forbid you take somebody's comforter off their bed. But he says, I'm gonna, I shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So let's look at it. The word for helper or comforter is the Greek word parakletos, and it means one called alongside to help. So once again, this word helper is also the word comforter. Comforter is helper. I'm going to give you another helper. It's the, it's the word parakletos, and it means one called alongside to help. Now, there are different translations like the New American Standard. There's the New King James. There's King James. So we want to take this word helper is comforter. Comforter is helper. To lead the believer to a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the kingdom of God. Wow, so it's one called alongside to help, okay? It's, it's one called alongside to help. And so when you say, help me, Holy Spirit, 
It's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And so that's really what I want to lead you to in these, in these, in these points about the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is going to do three things. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 15, the Holy Spirit is going to do three things in John 16, verses 7 through 15. Now, if you'll notice, I read to you John 14, 16. So in John uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Judas had already betrayed Yeshua and left the table. He left the group. They sang a hymn. They went down to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Yeshua is sharing with them some intimate things. He's giving them like this inside scoop before they're going to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then, of course, we know that Yeshua in John 17 has a prayer. But, but this is actually in John 16, verses 7 through 15. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? Number one, convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So why did Yeshua come? Because he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to take our sins away. He came because of our sins, okay? And the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So when Yeshua says, and this is where it gets to be very interesting, uh, even Yeshua challenged his disciples, who do you say that I am? So even among the Jewish people, they would say, well, Jesus or Yeshua was a great rabbi. He was a teacher, but he's not the Messiah. He's not a king, all these other things. Uh, some people would say that, you know, uh, he was just Jewish, he was just a man, you know, and everyone has their own opinion. And that's why Yeshua would ask you today that are watching and listening to this teaching, who do you say that Yeshua is? Who do you say that I am? Notice the I am. Number two, uh, he would convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. So what righteousness are we talking about? but the righteousness of Christ because he came for our sins and he completed his task. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But if not, let me drink from it. Let it be your will be done, the Father's will. And so now he's going to, of course, ascend on the 40th day, ascension day, and he's going to go be with the Father at the right hand because he fulfilled all righteousness. Last but not least, we have judgment. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Why did Yeshua come? To destroy the works of the devil. Remember what the devil did. Satan did in the Garden of Eden. He undermined God's command or commandment not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Because Adam and Eve ate from it. Now, what is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's somebody's deciding what is good and what is evil because there is the tree of life, okay? So when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are going to eat from this tree and say, I know what is good and I know what is evil. But we know that God's word tells us what is good and what is evil. God's word tells us, the infallible word of God tells us what is right and what is wrong. So as you look at these three things, that's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. So I love it when people share about their convictions and their conscience, you know, they did something wrong, they wanted to make it right. I'm like, you know what? You are full of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit because your conscience is not seared like a hot iron. So those three things will indicate whether you have the Holy Spirit or not. I mean, how many days do you go before you confess your sins? You know, we can go quite a ways, you know, and I, I fell into this trap as well, you know. 
<coughs> we say things like, well, you know what? I'm better than he is, or at least I'm not doing what he is. You know, oh, I keep Shabbat. And then you kind of get into this, well, look at what I'm doing. Instead of the righteousness of Christ receiving it, and then, of course, we become judgmental. But remember, judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Why? Because what Yeshua has done. i got to move on here, but that's a very, very important slide for you to understand. <clears throat> People are drawn to the supernatural realm, and there are many counterfeits to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Think about it. People are drawn to the supernatural realm, and there are many counterfeits to the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that people are even fascinated with death, you know, like the Walking Dead show. You know, it's like got high ratings and, and a lot of viewers, a lot of viewership. But people are drawn to the supernatural. So let's get right into this. Examples of the occult in the Bible. Examples of the occult in the Bible. We have, of course, the word divination. We have familiar spirits, magicians, mediums, necromancers. Soothsayers, right? Sorcerers, sorceries, spiritists, witchcraft, witches, and wizards. Once again, these are all examples of the occult in the Bible that's relevant for today. How many of you know that it's relevant for today? I'm going to tie all this in for you, okay? So let's look at Exodus chapter 7, verse 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. Boy, now isn't that interesting that Egypt had the occult going on in Pharaoh's court? Once again, Pharaoh had the occult in his court, in his administration. So why is this so interesting? Because first of all, we know there's going to be a second exodus. And I'll read to you in Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, I want to read to you. 14 and 15, the verses. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands whither he hath driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Once again, we call this the second exodus found in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. So if the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, and the, the occult is in Egypt, it's in Pharaoh's court, his administration. How many of you know the second exodus the occult is going to be rampant. The occult will be evident in the days in which we live, which is today. So we have sorcerers, magicians, enchantments. Let's look at these three words. Sorcerers, it's kashaf. It means to whisper, a spell, to enchant or practice magic. That's the word sorcerers. This is Pharaoh's administration. Then we have magicians, kaar tome. A soothsayer priests, soothsayer priests, not Levitical priests, but soothsayer priests. A horoscopist, of course, as drawing magical lines or circles. A horoscopist as drawing magical lines or circles. These definitions are found in the Strong's Concordance, okay? And you can find them for yourself. Sorcerers is number 3784. Magicians is 2748. 
for those of you that listen to the audio. And then, of course, we have the word enchantments, number 3858, lahat. It means a blaze also from the ides of enwrapping magic as covert flaming enchantment. Notice magic as covert, like behind the scenes. You don't quite see it, but it's happening in front of you. We also have this reference to compare Revelation chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. So we need to understand the strategy of the enemy and how they're set up and how it works so that we can counterattack. We can counterattack the wiles and the subtlety of our enemy. So here's the Torah. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26, here is the incredible book of Leviticus. And notice this in chapter 19, which is what? The walk with God. God does not want us walking in the occult. Okay, he doesn't want us sleeping with the enemy. He wants us to walk with him. This is what this verse says in Leviticus 19, 26. You shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall ye use enchantment nor observe times. You know, when you think about observing times, you know, there are definitely uh, occultic holidays. People were actually worshiping the four seasons, right? They were worshiping, okay, the calendar. They were worshiping, the equinox, you know, uh, and, and, and that's the seasons that we have. We have the four seasons. We have, of course, spring, summer, fall, and winter. Remember, we have those four seasons. And uh, they would use those uh, change of seasons, of course, uh, to, to, to worship, you know, in the occult. Uh, and I don't have it in front of me, but it, there are eight occultic holidays. There's the, the four uh Seasons and then contain which in each one of those seasons is another occultic holiday. Uh, just like uh, when you have go into the fall season, what else would go along with the fall season? But October 31st, which is probably the most evil day, is of course uh, the pagan holiday of Halloween. Uh, so once you have those four seasons contained with, with, within each one of those uh, seasons is another day, and there's eight occultic holidays. Very interesting, isn't it? Why? because there's eight feast days found in the book of Leviticus, counting the Shabbat. So here's the occult, and it's a counterfeit of what God has. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Didn't have this in my notes, but just wanted to kind of bring that up. So neither shall ye use enchantments nor observe times. Now, this particular word, enchantment, is number 5172. It's nakash. It means to hiss, whisper, a magic spell, to prognosticate enchantment, Prognosticate means to foretell, like a soothsayer, you know, and that's what we're seeing. To hiss, whisper a magic spell, to prognosticate or enchantment. Uh, to prognosticate, once again, means to foretell, which is what? Fortune tellers. You have, of course, fortune tellers, palm readers, okay? It's all the occult, the horrible scopes. People read the newspaper to look up their horrible scopes, the horoscopes, and it's all the occult. So it's all around us. It really is. So let's move on to some examples of the occult. We have Balaam as an example of a person who is a soothsayer and who used divination. He's a prophet for profit. Okay, he's a false prophet. And he uses divination. And he's really made a name for himself. And I can't develop the story in great detail, but I just want to kind of go over it because it's relevant for today. And we're going to bring this out to you. 
looking at divination in Numbers chapter 22, verse 7, and the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. Remember, Balak sent for Balaam. And these guys that went after Balaam, sent by Balak, had the rewards of divination in their hand, right? So Balak wants to use the occult against Israel, against the children of Israel. And let's look at this word divination. It's number 7081 in the Strong's Concordance. It is the word kesem. It means a lot. Also divination, including its fee, oracle, reward of divination, divine sentence, witchcraft, drawing lots, rolling the dice, drawing lots. I mean, think about it. That is all part of the occult. That is what the divination is. So we're in Numbers chapter 22, verse 7, but we're going to get into Numbers chapter 23 in verse 23, in enchantment. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what hath God wrought? So as Balaam is, is going to try to curse the people, he can only speak what the, what the Lord gives him to speak, which is kind of interesting. He's a shady character. And so what he's doing is he's going to bless Israel three times and he's going to upset Balak. He's going to upset him and he's mad. He brings him up to these places. He gets the altar. He offers up these sacrifices uh, in, in the name of the occult. And of course, what happens? Balaam ends up blessing Israel. And this is one of the blessings. He says, surely there is no enchantment against Jacob. There's no, nothing in the occult that can hurt Jacob. And there's is there any divination against Israel? Divination doesn't work against Israel. Why? Because they're God's people. They have God's, God's blessing. Amen? And that's what God had wrought. And that's what it says here. Now, as we look at this particular word, there is no enchantment. It's like I said, it's the word nakash, number 5172 in the Strong's Concordance. You need to know this. It means to hiss, whisper a magic spell, to prognosticate or enchantment. Once again, to prognosticate means to foretell. It's divination, bar none. This is not a word from the Lord. I would say this is a word from the underworld. This is a word from a dark, dark place, a dark world. Even the Greeks used the oracles in their temples and from temple prostitutes. There would be one that would give the oracle, okay? And once again, it's not coming from God's spirit. It's not coming from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from other spirits that are not of God, okay? They are against God. So we talked about Numbers chapter 22, Numbers chapter 23. We're moving progressively forward in the storyline here. Let's look at Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. And they slew the kings of Midian beside the rest of them that were slain, namely Evi and Rechem and Zer and Hur and Reba, five kings of Midian... Balaam also, the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. You reap what you sow. Okay? You reap what you sow. So what did Balaam actually do? I don't have time to get into the great detail of it because we're in Leviticus. We're finishing it up in the Torah cycle. We will be talking more about this as we go into the book of Numbers. But Balaam, also the son of Beor, they slew with the sword. So yeah, he couldn't curse Israel, but he showed Balak 
how a curse could come upon the children of Israel if you would just send beautiful women into the camp and have them commit sexual immorality. And then with that, you can bring in idolatry with these women because, once again, they're being, you know, sexually uh, immoral in their practices. And then what happens? It results in idolatry. Idolatry is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is idolatry. Now, a quick reminder here, if you go back to the golden calf incident, they were worshiping the calf. They were committing idolatry, which resulted in sexual immorality. It led to this. And so that's why it's so synonymous. But in this case, at Baal Peor, you're going to see where the people committed sexual immorality, and then they began to sacrifice to other gods. Wow, they're right there on the plains of Moab, getting ready to go into the promised land. And this is all relevant even for today. And so Balaam was, was, was taken out. And we can also see this in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22. It says right here, Balaam, also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with a sword among them that were slain by them. Okay? So what are you saying, Pastor Nick? I'm saying that two things that the children of Israel had to face before going into the promised land, we are facing today. And that is the occult, number one, and number two, sexual immorality. I want to go to Ecclesiastes. And I want to read to you, let's see here. I want to read to you a, a, a verse, which is very interesting, in Ecclesiastes. Yes, right after Psalms and Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, in verse 9, this is what we have. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Think about it. And there is no new thing under the sun. So if the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, they were just a few months out going ready to get into the promised land around the time of Passover, Pesach. They're going to go into the promised land. What hits them? What's the enemy? The occult, sexual immorality. Boom. So what are you saying, Pastor Nick? There's nothing new under the sun. So what has been will be again. So look at the earth today. Look at our culture. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's call it out. We're surrounded by the occult. In our culture, in the media, on television, it's all around us, the occult. And sexual immorality. Amen. We even have our Supreme Court redefining marriage that God had already established that it was between a man and a woman. The Supreme Court of the United States of America comes and says, no, same-sex marriage, which goes against the Bible, right? You could call it a civil union. You can call it whatever you want. Two people love each other. They come to whatever you want. But remember, God defined what a marriage is. A marriage is between a man and a woman. And that's not being prejudiced. That's not being a bigot. That's just what I believe. That's what the Bible says. And I think it's right. I think it's good. So what did the Supreme Court do? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now they want to redefine marriage, and they ate from that tree. And what does that do? When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it brings death. Think about it. You know, uh, one of the things that, that was brought to my attention in regards to unnatural love, 
of two women being together or two men being together, remember, the only way you can keep that sin going of unnatural love, of loving the same sex, is if you go back into the natural realm, what nature teaches us, that it takes a male and a female to reproduce. So let's just say that you're, you're a homosexual, you're a lesbian, and you're, on a, you're, you're going to, to want to repopulate, you have to go back to the original plan of God, a man and a woman, to reproduce. So in your own sin, you can't reproduce what you're living in. I know, it, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's deep, isn't it? That's deep. But it makes perfect sense. So you have to go, you know, you have to go back to the way things are supposed to be to continue in the sin that you want. And even nature teaches us what is right and what is wrong. So there's no new thing under the sun. In Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 2, it says, As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. A curse can't just hit you. It can't just come on you. You have to be disobedient. You have to be walking in a way that's not pleasing to God in order for that curse to come about, okay? And just like I said, when you go into sexual immorality, you're bringing on a curse. When you dabble in the occult, you are what? You are bringing on a curse. So the curse causeless shall not come. A curse can't just hit you out of nowhere. You have to be disobedient. And see, that's what happened to the children of Israel. That's why Balaam was, was killed by the sword. He was taken out because he plotted and schemed on Balak's behalf to say, hey, listen, just get the children of Israel to commit sexual immorality and they'll fall into the curse and you'll have your curse. You know, dabble in the occult. There's your curse, okay? So that's, of course, the story of the children of Israel and Balaam and Balak. But let's move on. We're going to get into familiar spirits now, and that's really the highlight of this teaching. I'm, I'm halfway there in regards to familiar spirits. This is an ongoing uh, lesson. It's an ongoing study. But let's look at Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 6. Notice it's in Leviticus chapter 20, and what does that mean? We want to walk with God. We don't want to walk in the occult. We want to walk with God. That's what walking with God, right? Chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. Chapters 18 to 27 is the walk with God. This is what this verse says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6. So he's saying, hey, you want to walk with me? You want to be with me? And I am a spirit. They that worship me must worship me in spirit. I want you to, but there's going to be familiar spirits, things trying to attach themselves to you that are not of me. It says, and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Okay? So once again, familiar spirits. Listen to me closely. There's a lot more detail to familiar spirits. A familiar spirit is not the Holy Spirit. And as a matter of fact, it's not your spirit that was given to you by the breath of God. But it's another spirit. It's, it's, it's an assignment against you. It's a spirit that wants a host, okay? And this particular word, familiar spirits, is the Hebrew word ob. It's the Hebrew word ob, okay? And as we move on, we can actually find <coughs> this particular story of familiar spirits in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 3, with King Saul. So there's this transition that's going on. Why? Because you go from judges to the monarchy. And King Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, 
And why he was king, I don't know, but, but God made him king. But remember that the kingship, the monarchy, had to come from the tribe of Judah. Now, Benjamin has not been given that promise. And King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm just wondering what's going on there. Something to think about. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, it says, Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. So Saul was doing the right things and getting rid of the occult and cleaning house, okay? But we're going to see that the sin that he committed earlier in his life is going to catch up to him. Because now we're in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So even though King Saul did away with the familiar spirits, he, he attacked the occult, he got it out. It says, the Lord no longer spoke to King Saul, and the prophet Samuel was not there for him because he had died. So remember, Samuel was speaking to King Saul. God would speak to Samuel the prophet, and he would go and speak to King Saul, right? But now all of a sudden, we're going to see King Saul's sin here as part of the teaching. He no longer has the prophet. See, he no longer has the prophet. And so an important, an important point to this teaching is this. God created the Levitical priesthood to teach the Torah and God would be king. The people cried out they wanted a king. So Samuel's like, hey, you know what? Then you can have a king, you know. And, and so once again, he gave him a king. But this king has to have his own Torah, write his own Torah. He has to follow Torah. So now what's happening now? The priesthood is damaged. So because Eli and his son sinned, and of course God sends the prophet. Why? Because there was no king. The prophets were bad. I mean, not the prophets were bad, but I mean, I'm just saying that, think about it. The priesthood is like the mainstay of the, of the community. If the, if the priests go bad, like Eli and his sons, God's got to raise up a prophet. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And so with that, King Saul went bad, and there was no prophet. So now it's going to get ugly. So look what we have here. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 7, Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. Does that sound familiar, Endor? Remember the planet in Star Wars, Endor, the witch of Endor? This is what's happening now. So King Saul's disobedient. He, he murdered priests. He's going after David. All these things are happening. He didn't follow the Lord. We're going to follow the storyline. What did he do? He's now wanting to consult a familiar spirit that he had gotten rid of. Why? Because God wasn't speaking to him anymore. But he had to have a word. He had to have a word. So as we develop this, this theme here, you're going to see it being played out. The reference of a familiar spirit is also known as the word medium. So the reference of a familiar spirit is also known as the word medium somebody outside of you, a medium. A medium is defined as one possessed by or consulting a ghost or spirit of the dead, especially for information about the future. 
A medium is defined as one possessed by or consulting a ghost or spirit of the dead, especially for information about the future. See, necromancing, you're not supposed to speak to the dead. You can't summon a dead person. I can't summon Pastor Randy from the grave and speak to him, okay? You are not to worship the dead or speak to the dead. You pray to the Father in Yeshua's name. You don't conjure up a dead relative. Now, acting as a medium was punishable by stoning. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. Notice this judgment. You're walking with God. Now, the punishment in the occult or, or this, or a medium, is what? Stoning. It's not just throwing somebody outside the camp or an excommunication. It's literally stoning. That's the punishment. Once again, I'm laying out some spiritual laws for you in the kingdom of God that's happening behind the scenes that you need to understand. And so what happens in the days in which we live? We actually have a television show called Medium. So the enemy's not hiding. He's flaunting the occult is flaunting itself, just like a lot of groups that are in sin are flaunting their sin. They're flaunting. They're having parades. They're, doing, they're flaunting their sin, okay? And so once again, you can see where this show, Medium, is just, it's called Medium. The enemy's not trying to seduce you or hide it. It's, it's called Medium. It's in your face. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now, right now, there is currently a show called Good Witch. There's a show playing right now. I believe it's been running since 2015. It's called Good Witch. And what does the Bible say? Suffer not the witch to live. Suffer not the witch to live. You know, it, it's like this, this, this term, well, he's a white witch. Or he's a warlock. Listen, you're still a witch, right? It, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, it's kind of like a pirate, you know, like the VeggieTales. We're the pirates that don't do anything. We do nothing. The pirates that do nothing, Okay. You're still a pirate. They rape and pillage and murder. You're still a pirate. You know, it's like a, there's no such thing as a good dragon, okay? Right? Dragons sometimes in movies are personified as something sweet and nice. You know, listen, a dragon is a dragon is a dragon. It, it's evil, okay? And that's what we see in Revelation. A dragon is not a good beast. A dragon is a dragon is a dragon. A witch is a witch is a witch. Whether it's a white witch or a good witch, it's a witch. And, and the Bible says that they are not to live. So let's move on into the occult so you can understand some of this stuff, especially as we get into Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12. Let's check it out. Once again, Deuteronomy is what? It's, it's the book of remembrance. It's a compilation of Moses' last words to the children of Israel, so important. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12. Here's what God's word says. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, that's Molech, or that useth divination, 
or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Look at all these things. Divination, enchanter, witch, charmer, consulter, a consulter with familiar spirits, a wizard, a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land, and what is the promised land full of but the occult? And he wants to get you to get into the land and push these things out. Let's look at this. The word occult is defined as the following. What is the occult? It means hidden or concealed, number one. Hidden or concealed. Number two, secret, esoteric. Number two, secret or esoteric. Number three, beyond human understanding or mysterious. Ooh. Beyond human understanding, mysterious. Number four, designating or of certain mystic arts or studies such as magic, alchemy, astrology, etc., etc., etc. Now, what's interesting about this is it's laid out for us. It's not natural. The occult is supernatural. And what happens? We're drawn to it. Supernatural things happen in our life. But if, is it supernaturally of God or of the devil? Remember, remember that. So in common English usage, occult refers to knowledge of the paranormal as opposed to knowledge of the measurable, usually referred to as science. So science is not the occult. But what's interesting is, is the occult and science are actually coming together. And you can check this out in public records in regards to this project called the CERN Project, C-E-R-N. It's incredible what's happening. Once again, in common English usage, occult refers to knowledge of the paranormal as opposed to knowledge of the measurable, usually referred to as science. This is taken from Wikipedia. So remember, the occult is supernatural, it's mysterious, it's hidden, it's dark, it is not science. But yet science is a reality as well. And the two are coming together. And terrible atrocities are happening. The word occultation means the following. Number one, concealment, disappearance. Number two, in astronomy, the disappearance of one heavenly body behind another. Right? An occultation. This is an astronomical sign. In astronomy, the disappearance of one heavenly body behind another. So you have a substance, and the occult is like something behind that you can't quite see, but is a reality, but is there. It's concealment, disappearance. That's what occultation means. Okay? So that's what you're saying. So behind the scenes, there's the occult. As we look at 2 Kings 21, verse 6, enchantments, and he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. These are God's children. This is the, 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 the king of Judah from the line of Judah, right? 
a king from the tribe of Judah, is doing this in 2 Kings 21.6. These are God's children. Abraham's seed, the children of Abraham, are being swayed and pulled into the occult. And as we look at that word enchantments, it means nachash, number 5172 in the Strong's Concordance. It means to hiss, whisper a magic spell, prognosticate, or to divine. You know, isn't it interesting that, that the, this word enchantments means to whisper a magic spell? Do you know that it's rude to tell secrets? Do you know that it's rude and improper to be whispering in somebody's ear when somebody else is around? Because that is what this is. Now, I'm not saying you're in the occult because you whisper. Maybe you don't want to be heard. Maybe you don't want to break up a service. But I just want to remind you that that can create vain imaginations when people are whispering around you. And that's what the enemy does. He's whispering. That's what he's doing. He's whispering around us. You can hear this. It's a whisper. So we get into the New Testament in Acts 13, 6. And when they had gone through the aisle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Wow. Check that out. Sorcerer. When they had gone through the aisle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, I do another teaching as well. It's called the Holy Spirit versus the occult, tying these in together. But I want to get to a point here before I end. There we go. Let's see where I'm at here. Ah, there we go. Here we go. There we go. Once again, Acts 13, 6. And when they had gone through the aisle into Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Couldn't see the slide, but that's okay. So you're, you're getting the gist of the teaching. You're understanding what we're up against here, what you're surrounded with, what's trying to influence you, right? So that's Acts 13, 6. If we progressively move on, we can go into Acts 16, 16, divination. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So remember in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit had already come down and been promised and being poured out into the streets of Jerusalem. She possessed the spirit of divination and brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 9, sorcerers, Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. So this is Jeremiah 27, verse 9. Here's Jeremiah, a, 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 a prophet, a corresponding prophet in Jerusalem, in the country of Israel. And those that are in the occult are saying, Hey, we're not going to go into captivity. There's not going to be a judgment. Why? Because they're getting a voice and, and, and whispers from the underworld, the, the dark world, a world in shadows. Because remember, it, it says even in the Gospels that men love darkness more than the light. And so that's why all these things are done in darkness. To conceal is what the occult is. But we want to expose it. We want to bring it to the light. And that's why it's so important, even in Leviticus chapter 18, it's talking about secret sins, sins done behind closed doors. But that chapter means you want to walk with God. 
So you got to get rid of this occult. You got to get rid of sexual immorality. You got to get rid of things that you're doing behind closed doors that is not pleasing to God. Okay? So this is what Jeremiah was up against. The people were listening to the wrong word. The word was coming from the underworld. That's what's happening today. Even in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 2, then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now we know in Pharaoh's court, he had the occult going on. He had the magicians. Pharaoh did. The king of Egypt. Now here we have what? The Babylonians. Babylon. His court had sorcerers and magicians, right? The Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. The Babylonians are the Chaldeans. Do you think the occult is somehow in our government? I believe it is. I believe there's there's some... Uh, I believe there's some... Uh, occult activity going on in our government. Absolutely. You can see it. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 5, this is about sorcerers. <clears throat> and I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and that churn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi is the last prophet that's written in the Old Testament. Then the, there's the, the 500 years of silence. But he said he's going to come against the occult in the last days. He's going to come against the occult in the last days. He's going to come against the sorcerers. So what do we have in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1-6? through 6? We have, of course, some scriptures here. This says in, in regards to discernment. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what are people's motives? What's their behavior? Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. But are they sowing discord, dissension? I mean, what are, what are they doing? In Revelation chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, it says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is, of course, the false prophet. This is what you're seeing in the book of Revelation. The dragon is Satan, okay? So notice there's deception going on here in the second beast, the false prophet, like a Balaam. He's a false prophet. He can do signs and wonders, but he's false. So that's Revelation chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. But what about Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8? But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Once again, sorcerers thrown into the lake of fire. The occult thrown into the lake of fire. Remember, hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels. Men choose to go to hell. Hell was not created for man. 
but man chooses to go there. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels, and we believe in the doctrine of hell. There is a hell and there is a heaven. There's a heaven, okay? And you don't want to roll the dice on that. You don't want to take a chance on that. Matter of fact, Yeshua spoke more about hell than he did heaven. So the doctrine of hell is important in the days in which we live. Revelation chapter 22, verse 15, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Remember something about the occult because we're finishing up here. We're going to tie it in with with a storyline here. The occult has no atonement. There's no atonement or redemption for the occult because they're God. They're acting as God. So they don't need atonement. They don't need redemption. Matter of fact, salvation is only for us that are created in his image, only for the homo sapiens. There is no salvation for fallen angels and Satan. There's no second chance. Okay? They came against Yahweh and they lost. There's no restoration. So in closing here, I want to tie in a story because we're going to be developing this even in our church as we come back together and everything. And the title is for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And some of you are at this point saying, hey, I don't do Ouija boards. I don't do astronomy. I don't do any, or astrology. I don't do any of that stuff. Well, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, I'm not accusing you of witchcraft, but rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We're going to find this in 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 35. And I believe that's why the coronavirus hit this earth, is because of lawlessness, rebellion. So King Saul was instructed to wipe out all of the Amalekites and their livestock by Samuel the prophet from the Lord. He was given specific instructions to do something, and he needed to do it, and he had agreed to do it. So let's look at the storyline here. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Those are the instructions. Remember, we are at war with Amalek from generation to generation. This war is happening. So that's 1 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 3. Let's jump to the story here. 1 Samuel 15, verses 8 and 9. King Saul does not fully obey the word of the Lord. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. He did not follow through with the instructions of the Lord. King Saul is rebuked by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, verses 19 through 23. Once again, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's not witchcraft, but is as the sin of witchcraft. Look what 1 Samuel says, or it says in 1 Samuel 15, verses 19 through 23. Here's Samuel rebuking him now. 
Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. This is what he's saying, right? Continuing on. Verse 21. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Boy, what a famous verse. To it's Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So it's like, okay, I'm not going to really do what I was told, but I'm going to do this. And this is a sacrifice, and this gives something to God. And this is actually something that seems profitable. It seems good in my eyes. But remember, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Here we go. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as the iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. That's what happened. God's going to lift his kingship off of him. Once again, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's as the sin of witchcraft. This is, this is a scary story. 1 Samuel 15, 24, King Saul feared the people. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. He realizes, oy vey, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The people pressed him and pushed him like Aaron in the golden calf and he caved in, he gave in. He feared the people. He should have just obeyed the Lord. So here's the quote. Partial obedience is still disobedience. I could tell you stories about God telling me to go somewhere or do something, and I didn't do it. I paid the price for that. I had a little visit <laughs> from a demon because I did not go to a prayer meeting or a small group's singles Bible study. I was supposed to go, and I didn't go. I paid a price for that. I was told to attend and to go. I decided to go to sleep. Well, I had my own encounter. So I can relate to this in regards to partial obedience is still disobedience. In John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. This is the last verse. So in closing, I want to give you a revelation of my personal prayer time and experiences and what I'm seeing and, and what I'm reflecting upon and I have this example here up on the stage, an example of the inner court. If, if, if you will notice, I have here, I have here, of course, over here, let's start with the menorah. I have a menorah, I have a table of showbread, and I have the altar of incense, okay? Now, I want you to get this picture, because the outer court is, the, is of course, the, the, the brazen altar and then the laver, and you're exposed to those elements, and those two things are very important. You come to know the Lord, you wash in the labor, the washing of the water of the word. You pull this curtain back, right? And you're in the inner court. What's in the inner court? There's no windows, 
But here's the menorah. We're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the menorah represents. It represents the Holy Spirit. So we have this Holy Spirit. What does he do? He guides us. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you carry that with you for, for, for every day of your life. If you know if you have the Holy Spirit, convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Where does the Holy Spirit lead us? To the table of showbread, which is what? Notice it's got two rims around it, two edges, two walls to protect us. Because 12 loaves go on there that are unleavened bread. <laughs> and every Shabbat, that bread is changed out. Those 12 loaves represent the 12 tribes. Picture this as being filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, leading you to what? To who you are in him. You're grafted in, right? If you're not Jewish, you're grafted into the olive tree. Ephesians 2, once you are far away, Yeshua has brought you near. You're part of the commonwealth of Israel. It's that simple. You're not replacing anybody. You're added to what's already there. So we go to this table of showbread. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to know how to pray and make our way to the altar of incense. Why? Because we have his spirit. We have our identity. And now we know how to pray and what to pray. So in closing, this is prophetically where we're at. We start with this Holy Spirit. And we're baptized in the Holy Spirit and we love the Holy Spirit. But then we end up grieving him and quenching him. We end up getting a familiar spirit, something that is not of God. And, and, and between the, the menorah and this table of showbread, we begin to sow discord and want to argue and debate. And we no longer are getting revelation from God, but we're just digging for information. We're watching YouTube. We're reading all these other books and things about the Bible instead of the Bible. And we get another spirit. And what happens is we really can't even come to the table now because now, now we're messed up. Because those that come to the table have a right spirit. And you won't sit at a table with people that don't have a right spirit. Two things. They're not going to come to the table. Number two, they'll be exposed. Now, why is this so important? Because if this happens, if you have another spirit, you're never going to make it to the altar of incense. Because that table knows how to make the move to the altar of incense with the right spirit. And to pray the things of God instead of yourself. That'll preach. So what are you saying, Pastor Nick? Our vision at Beit Tehillah is to build a strong community and to raise up the next generation. It says in the last days from Joel, and Peter quotes it, in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy, right? That means to speak the very oracles of God. Not to, not to say how many followers they have on Instagram. Young men will have visions, means fresh revelation from God. Old men will dream dreams. They're all in the same house with the same spirit, the spirit of God. This is in closing here. I want you to think about this. Even King David cried out, renew a right spirit within me, which means a constant spirit, because David faltered. Even though he had wives and concubines, he wanted Bathsheba, and when he took her, he committed the sin of adultery and then murder. And that's what happened to King David. So I'm warning you, and I'm trying to help you, that we need the Holy Spirit. And when we come back as a congregation, as a community, that's my prayer, that we would have the Holy Spirit that would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and that we, we, we would love each other, that we would be unified. Remember what I shared about rediscovering the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers, okay? He purifies, he reveals, 
he unifies. So Father, thank you for giving us a right spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We thank you for convicting us of sin and righteousness and judgment because the ruler of this world truly has been judged. So Father, for those of us that have quenched and grieved your Holy Spirit, please forgive us. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our iniquities, Father. Even the sins of our forefathers that are trying to attach themselves. Father, we bind familiar spirits. We command them to go. We command them to go to a dry place and not to inhabit anything. We know that these evil spirits want to inhabit bodies, just like they wanted to inhabit the swine. The unclean spirit wants to go into an unclean animal like a pig. And the pigs went off the cliff and committed suicide. So, Father, grant us in the season of counting of the Omer, your Holy Spirit, we ask all of this in the name of all names, the name of Yeshua, Jesus. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.